Hello and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. I'm going to spend a couple minutes sharing with you something just real practical today. Um, I think I've shared with you guys before that as I drive, I mean, I read my Bible, but I also listen to my Bible as I drive. And I have that great uh, app called Dwell. Anybody downloaded that yet and listen to that? That is great. Dwell. W-D-W-E-L-L. Really good. And like I told you, it's got like people that sound like Ariana when they read to you, or it's just wonderful. So you get to have lilting voices read you the scriptures. And I was in 1 Thessalonians for like two or three weeks just listening to that book over and over again. And the beginning part of chapter four has struck me. And so that's what we're going to be today, specifically in verses 11 and 12. So if you guys want to Go to that in your Bible, so you can just read it on the screen. But I want to start in the beginning and get to verse 12 and then focus on those last couple verses. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a really important statement. So basically the will of God is that you probably do need to change from the moment you we're introduced to who God really is from and then through the rest of your life. There is this ongoing process of aligning yourself with this person you've been introduced to. You have this encounter with Jesus and then you spend the rest of your life in the will of God being sanctified. Really, just to simplify the word sanctified, it's the ongoing process of turning from the person you were creating in your own strength, in your own reasoning, into the person God had always intended you to be. There is the simplest term for sanctification. How many people are still in that process right now? We all are, absolutely. So, you abstain from sexual immorality. Yes. Oh, four. I apologize. First Thessalonians chapter four. Sorry. Do I need to go back and start again? Ariane, I'm going to make you read this because we like your voice better. Anyway, okay. So this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's actually a really good idea. We don't talk about that very much in church. Let's just talk about that for a second. It's a really good idea that you be sexually moral. Now, I know that there's probably a wavy line of definition there of what it means to be sexually moral. But I can just tell you this, from the biblical perspective, sexually moral simply meant that sexual activity was meant to be in the context of a committed married relationship. That is the overall consensus of biblical scholars in the idea of sexual morality. So anything, any kind of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage Biblically is considered sexual immorality. Are we good? Okay. Now, that's not to say there are... So oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going there. 
I know you probably would like me to go there, but I'm not going to go there. Each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That links us back to one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is self-control. Holy Spirit enables each one of us to be in control of our own bodies. You and I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can control feelings of lust, feelings outside the design God had for us. Do you know that you have the ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to align your desires, your passions, in line with the Holy Spirit's desires for you? Do you believe that? Okay. That's part of that sanctification process. Not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother. So we've got sexual instruction that Paul gave before, because it says in the beginning that he exhorted them and taught them all this before, but he's reminding them again. And then he begins to talk about that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. In other words, the Lord will cause sowing and reaping to take place. So please don't rip off your friend. Be faithful. Be a good steward with your friends, with your neighbors. Otherwise, you will reap what you sow. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So impurity is turning back to the person that you were creating in your own reasoning, in your own feelings and thoughts. And that sanctification is who the Holy Spirit's helping you to become. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's pretty strong stuff, and I wonder how many Americans can handle this. I wonder how many American Christians can handle someone saying this to them. Beginning, verse 1, go back to there just for a second. I request and tell you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as you ought to walk and to please God. I wonder how many of us could handle a man telling us how to live in 2022. Seriously. And then at the end of that, was it verse 9 or 10? He says, if you transgress what I'm telling you, you're not transgressing just my command, but you're actually transgressing God. But how hard? That's pretty difficult. Yeah, because I think over the last several thousand years, we've developed a pretty good sense of independence. But can I tell you that there are people in our lives who have really important things to tell us, and I think it would be behoove us to listen to them. And I actually think it's not just like a good idea. I actually think it's God's design that at different times, certain individuals in your life especially those who have earned a place in your life through faithful service, through love, through good example. Every once in a while, they're going to turn to you. And it might, not, it might not even be something that they tell you because I can tell you, I have gotten to a place personally where I really hold back things that I think you ought to hear. I do. Personally, inter interpersonally, like one-on-one, -on -one, and even behind a microphone. And honestly, it's because people will rebuff you. 
There's such a sense of independence, such a sense of, you can't tell me what to do. You're not God. So does that language offend you that Paul said it? Anybody? But if someone 2,000 years later in today's wrote you that letter, sent you this email, and instead of it being Paul, it was so-and-so in your life. And they said at the end of it, hey, by the way, if you don't listen to this, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. How would you handle it? Huh? They're manipulating me. Do you guys hear that? They're manipulating me into doing what they want me to do. But I can tell you the heart of Paul here and the heart of most well-meaning people, those who have earned a right through love and good example, are not trying to manipulate you. They actually want what's good for you. They actually want you to grow. They actually want you to experience fruit. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul wants his people in the town of Thessalonica to say, I want you to grow. I want you to eat good fruit. That's the context and the introduction to what he's about to say. Okay? This is a father, this is a friend who is exhorting, encouraging. And exhort is a stronger word than encourage. If you actually go look it up in the original language, it means this is a really good idea and you should definitely do this. That's what it means to exhort. Okay? So, let's see what he says next. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And I really feel like here, I would say in the last 10 to 12 years, the Lord has taught this family how to love. We have learned the Father's heart. We have grown in the Father's heart. And we have been taught by God how to love. If you indeed do practice it toward all the brethren who are throughout Macedonia. So this is beyond Thessalonica. We're taught by God to love everyone. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition. Here we go. So he's exhorting us to make something our ambition. It's one of the few times the word ambition is used in the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Ambition is a drive. Ambition is you have a target, you have a goal, and you are putting a whole lot of effort into making that goal a reality. You don't see the word ambition very often in Scripture. In fact, I've even heard some people say that ambition could actually be a negative thing. But Paul is actually saying, make it your ambition to do three things. Lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. And work with your hands. Today, I would like to just expand and think about and discuss together what those three things mean. To number one, lead a quiet life. Number two, attend to your own business. And number three, work with your hands. Okay? So for the next little bit, we're just going to get real practical. We're going to think not prophetically, globally, even though what we're about to say is very prophetic, what we're discussing here, very prophetic and has global implication. It's really important that we understand that the, the little things of our life, the things that we work on interpersonally and even personally, actually have the ability to echo into not just larger, grander metrons of space and geography, but also even generationally. So, what does it mean to lead 
quiet life. And I'll give you a couple thoughts, but I'd like to also hear your thoughts on each one of these. And when I hear Paul talk about this, and this isn't the only time he says this, he says this in other ones of his letters. Paul does a lot of giving of his own opinion on things, but he bases his opinion on a godly principle, even Old Testament scripture. He'll bring a lot of Old Testament scripture up. Um, leading a quiet life, when I read that, it kind of felt to me like he was basically saying, if you have to be loud and be boisterous and be flamboyant about what you're doing, if you have to constantly be trumpeting and announcing to the world, hey, I had a sandwich today. Or you're declaring what you're going to be doing today or whatever it is. Like, I basically what I'm hearing him say is it does not serve us well to be loud, boisterous, flamboyant with our lives. There's, a, there's something in this that Paul is saying, make it your ambition, make it a goal that what you're doing does not mean to be trumpeted to the atmosphere. And I feel like that, that right there can be very opposed to a social media culture that we live in like extremely opposed. Like your phone, your computer is like enticing you. Come, tell us what you're thinking. Everybody else is telling us what they're thinking. Why don't you add to the noise and put yours in there? And Paul is saying that's actually an enticement into a trap. So I've been thoughtful about this. Like I said in the beginning, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. And I feel like Paul is saying something about a quiet life is really important. A quiet life is one that builds, grows, and progresses with little fanfare. Do you know it is really okay to grow, to, to advance, to do really important things in the world and not have to tell the whole world you're doing it? There's actually a benefit to it. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. This is something I've discovered, and I, this is not 100% true. This is not a rule, but I have found this to be true more often than not, that the louder a life, the more insecure the life. The more you have to trumpet, the more you have to shout, the more you have to declare that which is going well, that what you're doing is honestly you're trying to fill a void inside of you because you're not sure how well you're actually doing. Hello? Are you guys all right? Yeah? Okay. So, you know, a louder life can often be kind of like a sign of an insecure life. One that's not sure. And so it's almost like the shouting is actually meant to convince us. Like if I shout it loud enough, if I say it enough times, if I make sure enough people hear what I think about myself or what I think about what I'm doing, then, then it will become the truth. The fake it till you make it. How many of you heard that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's just, if I just keep doing this, 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 then I'll eventually be that. Now, actually, the most stable, secure lives are those who don't need anyone else to even know what's going on and simply build, simply move forward, make really important decisions, make really valuable decisions, make really thoughtful decisions, take purposeful action, 
And then you kind of let what's being built declare some stuff. There's such wisdom in what that is. I really feel like there's incredible wisdom in leading a quiet life. Along those lines, I also think a quiet life is a life that doesn't create unnecessary strife and conflict. Okay? Like the no drama zone type thing. One of, the, one of the most famous phrases that I hear people use, not famous, but most used phrases I've used all the time is, I don't like, right? How many people have heard someone say, I don't like drama? How many people have heard someone say it often? You know what those people are? They actually like drama. They don't like it, but it's almost like there's a certain amount of them that need it. Like it causes them to feel productive. It causes them to feel like they're involved. I'm involved in something. It's some of the reason why as people get older, they get drawn into politics. Nothing else to do. So I'm going to get involved in something that I really can't have a huge impact on, but it gets me involved and it gets me stirred up and I feel productive, but it's a whole lot of smoke and very little fire. Quiet lie, and honestly, in, in the political world, there's always conflict, there's always strife, there's always someone saying one thing and then someone else has to say another thing. And before long, they're doing this, and it feels like we're getting somewhere. And a lot of times, we're not getting anywhere. And that political spirit is not even in government, it's in everything. It's in relationships, it's in the church, it's in business. We're trying to get ahead, we're trying to take a step that kind of positions us into a better place. None of that is the ambition of a quiet life. A quiet life does not seek conflict. But there are, I will tell you, those that lead quiet lives are the best people to be in a conflict. I want to say that again because it's really important. The best people to be in conflict with are those who lead quiet, stable, progressing, without a whole lot of fanfare lives. Because they will not try to make it World War III. Hello? Yeah, you know when you're fighting with a wise one when they're like, okay, how, how, do we, how do we solve this like right now? But you're fighting with someone who likes conflict when they'll just one-up you or they'll bring up the 17 things that there was a problem before this particular thing. Anybody? Like there are people who literally thrive. They don't like it, they don't want it, but they don't know what else to do because they've trained their life to live in this place of chaotic, anxious, ongoing conflict. And it's the opposite of a quiet life. Here's one of the things I have learned personally. This is a good one for me. Not everyone needs to know why they're wrong or that they are. There was a little while there where I thought it was one of my, let's be honest with you, it was one of my roles and responsibilities to make sure you knew why you were wrong. And I realized now, it's unnecessary. Especially if people aren't ready for it. If people are still in a place where, hey, I'm still trying out this wrong thing. I'll let you know when it's wrong. I've been there. Has anybody else been there? I'm trying this thing out. No idea if it's right or wrong, but let's see it through. You know, in some cases, that's not a bad thing. Like some people, the only way a lot of us learn is to actually do it and then run into the brick wall and realize, hmm, okay. Yeah. 
Not everyone, and maybe some people do need to know they're wrong, but I'm not the person to tell them, okay? A quiet life is able to, this is one of my favorite things about people who live quiet lives, and I am seeking this place for myself. There are people who watch your life prayerfully. They live quietly, and as they watch you live, and as they watch you make decisions, they are thoughtfully presenting me personally before the Lord, saying, Lord, they're doing this, be with them. Lord, they're over here, they're doing this, be with them. And I'm actually thankful for the quiet living people in my life because a lot of them are lifting up some really important prayers on my behalf. And those are the ones that we're going to want to go seek out. Hey, what are you thinking about this? Again, same way, you want to be in conflict with a quietly living one? You're also, those are the ones you want to go find out what they're thinking because they're the ones that are actually spending time Thinking. Quiet life people have time and they don't have the, com- the, the conflict and the drama and all the anxious stuff going on that they're actually wells of wisdom and important thoughts. Quiet life people are those who seek opportunities to agree. Seek opportunities to flow with other people. Sure, look, I've had people who have joined my life all the time. They're thinking, I don't know if I fully agree with what this guy's doing, but I found areas where I can agree. And so I kind of slot in there with Mark and we're gonna go through this. And those are the people that when it's time, when, when, when something's not going quite right in my life or I'm not sure exactly if what to do here or there, that's the person I turn to because they're flowing with me. Quiet life people are ones that will seek opportunities to agree, seek opportunities to join, seek opportunities to be with you. And so that, and every one of us need people like that in our lives because when things go wrong, those are our solid rocks. We kind of lean back on and say, okay, help me out here. All right, let's, let's do this together. And there's no condemnation in it. There's no, I told you, come on, I told you. Any other thoughts? When you, when you hear Paul encouraging to live a quiet life, what else are you hearing? Uh, yeah, probably. Does this have a... Yeah, we're good. The first thing that came to my mind was like active listening. And I guess if you need an example of active listening, I would be like... Um, I guess not thinking of the next thing you uh, want to talk about right during on. the conversation, but like listening and then asking questions to gain a better understanding of what the person that you're talking to is encountering or trying to portray to you. That's beautiful. Yeah, so in, when you're listening, you don't have an agenda to get them to change their mind. You're actually learning to sit with them, get where they are, and be with them in that place versus, okay, I'm just waiting for them to stop so I can retort. That's really good. Quiet life. Anyone else? I think that kind of feeds back to what you were saying about finding points in relationship with people and in conversation to find points of agreement. Agreement. Right? So if you're actively listening, it's way easier to find points of agreement and maybe maybe disagreement too, I guess, but 
I think it kind of feeds back to finding places to um, to seek togetherness and agreement mm -hmm. in, in a thing. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Enjoying God's creation. Oh. A place of peace and knowing him through what he's what he has created. Yeah. Being able to share that. That's beautiful. Get out in nature. Spend some time in those places. It's a big one for me. Being content in all situations, regardless if you're jobless, if you have a job, if you have lots of money, no money, whatever, being content in all situations. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think often if you feel like a lot of people make bold assumptions about you, you're living a quiet life because they don't know the facts about you. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, they got to make assumptions because they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one so we can hear thoughts on the So the next one is, I make it your intention to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. Your own business. Honestly, I don't think we were ever intended to know the number of opinions we currently know. Honestly, I do not think it's healthy emotionally or mentally for us to know the thoughts and opinions of as many people as we know. We have the greatest access in the history of ever to know what anyone and everyone is thinking and feeling about anything and everything. And honestly, I'm not sure how healthy that is. I don't think it was ever the intent of God for you to know what everybody else is thinking. Because one of the greatest things it does, it distracts you from what God is thinking. It takes us out. Knowing what everybody's thinking, being involved in everybody else's business, getting understanding about what's going on in all these other places. If it's just for knowledge, I promise you, if, just for knowing, excuse me. I just need to know. Like when I was growing up, People Magazine was about as far as we got as social media. Anybody remember social media? Okay, remember People Magazine and the National Enquirer, is that even a thing anymore? Is this still a thing? Is it online or is it a paper thing still? It's in paper still. Like craziest articles. You guys remember that, right? Like some famous actor was actually an alien. Like that kind of stuff was on the National Enquirer. And at that time, it was a little absurd, right? A little absurd. It was flat out absurd. But now it's just subtly absurd. It's under the surface absurd. But... The current culture gets us into this mindset. Like, I had to get to a place where being uninformed was okay. I had people telling me, well, Mark, you just don't know what you need to know to make really good informed opinions and decisions about that thing. And I was just like, well, I'm kind of glad. Because the informed decision that this person thought I should make was based upon all of their research and videos that they had watched or listened to and all of that. And honestly, I, and this is, if, if this sounds super spiritual to you, let it be. But like, I really like to talk to the Lord about those things. Like, I really think it's good and godly for us. If someone asks you, what do you think about this particular issue? 
The first thing I do is I don't go find out what the issue is. They tell me the issue. That's enough. And then I go talk to the Lord about it. I find that attending to your own business has so much to do with keeping your heart focused on what God created you to do. There's incredible opportunity for distraction all around you. Leave social media out of it. Let's talk about all of the people in our lives. 2,000 years ago, this was just as vital as it is today. There is such opportunity for you to get off course of what God created you to do because someone else's loud life is distracting you. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, they're doing that, maybe I should. And there's a security that comes from leading a quiet life and then turning to your own business and saying, Lord, what is it that I was created to do? If we're always looking at other people's business, what's going on in other people's lives, constantly being mindful about what's happening outside of our own lives, that report that we get, whose report will you believe, right? That's what the Bible says. If we are always thinking about or looking at or being drawn away from what we're created to do, it actually creates conflict between what God has been talking to you about and what you're seeing in the business of all these other people. And it creates an inner turmoil. I'm wondering, this is not a fact, this is not a stated statistic that I know of, but I'm wondering if a lot of the inner turmoil that goes on on the inside of us is because we are pitting, P-I-T-T-I-N-G, what God says to us against what God is saying to other people. And we're trying to figure out if what God's saying to other people is also what he's saying to us. And here's the thing, in your time with the Lord, Learn to trust the voice of the Father. This is so vital to the Christian walk. Trust the voice of the Father. And maybe before I tell you to trust the voice of your Father, like I'm not even sure I can make the assumption anymore that you're actually spending intentional time with him. And maybe that's maybe what I should be encouraging, exhorting you to do first. Are you taking that time like Ariana just described? And I am taking intentional time to hear and experience the Father for himself. Not for myself, for himself. And in that place, I get secured in his original design and intent for me. And I begin minding my own business, right? Or attending to my own business. I'm attending to what God created me for And now there's no longer a competition between what God is saying to me and what he's saying to everybody else. My business, I begin to walk it out thoroughly and intentionally with him as my partner. Amen? That's attending to our own business. Sometimes we attend to other people's business because ours is overwelming. Hello? It is way easier to solve somebody else's problem because mine, I I know maybe we don't necessarily intentionally think of it that way or consciously think of it that way, but the more we're thoughtful about, like, again, I keep bringing politics into this because I feel like Christians have kind of locked onto this, but if we can figure out the national governmental issue, then my personal problem is going to be solved. That is the opposed way the Spirit teaches us. 
Actually, the way governmental, political, national issues get solved is when each individual attends well to their own business. I'm telling you, and it's, it's a trap. Politics in general is a trap to pull you up out of things that you need to attend to in your own life in order to feel like you're making an effect on a national level. And the greatest thing that I can do is make sure that my crap is together. Hello? Ouch. But it's easy. It's easy to get our stuff all wound up because so-and-so isn't enacting laws or making decisions that would most benefit my life. But the reality is we live in a different kingdom. And the intent is to not create a better form of national government. Our job is to create the kingdom of God here on earth. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. You guys with me? I hope this is making sense to you. Jason, thank you. I think we're drawn to other people's business because we're fearful of advancing our own. It is easy to be wondering what's going on over there or meddling over here. By the way, that's what the Bible calls someone who doesn't attend to their own business. They're meddlers. It's another word for it in the Bible. Um, Busybodies is another one. That's actually used in the scriptures. Busybodies are those who are looking into other people's business, giving their opinions, seeing what's going on there. And honestly, it's easier to go over there and give your opinion about this and do that because this life that I have right now is completely overwhelming to me. And I don't know what to do. It's a coping mechanism to attend to somebody else's business. Or maybe the reason why it's more fun to attend to somebody else's business is because you are bored with your own. I have not progressed for so long that my life is those... So let's look at somebody else who is trying to progress and screwing up royally, and let's see how they're doing. Hello? Yeah, I... Look, I'm preaching to the choir here, man. And I'm singing. Oh, you want to say something? Then... It's on. Thank you. When... I become fascinated with someone else's business. Eventually, comparison shows up. And then when comparison comes, I've taken my eyes off the Lord. I'm no longer defining myself by him. I'm, I'm comparing a partial picture of what I think I'm seeing. And I've begun to, uh, what is that, false? It's vain imagination. Vain imagination. What does Paul say about vain imaginations? Taking captive vain imaginations, right? And making them obedient to Christ. Right on. And so now I've become, I'm living in a fake world. Like even outside of the phone, in my own head, I've created something that doesn't exist. Doesn't even exist. You're exactly right. And there's the inner turmoil that happens on the inside of us. Because we think somebody else's life is so incredibly better, we have no idea what's going on over there. But we think we've created this whole world. And that's crazy. Do you know how many worlds you live in in other people's heads that don't even close to match reality. You are the actor and the character in so many crazy lives people have created about you. And you have no idea. Attend to your own business. I think we're drawn to what other people's business is because we're maybe disappointed with who we are or where we are in life. 
And so maybe it's just easier to, hey, let's see what's going on over there. Or let's watch this next show. Or let's watch this whatever. I think we've made an idol out of our opinion because we've spent probably a generation telling everybody that your opinion matters. I, I have news for you. Your opinion doesn't matter. Like, if there are in some places your opinion simply does not matter. Like, here's, here's for instance. Um, my opinion on how to build a house doesn't matter compared to your opinion on how to build a house. I have no, I have no insight on how to do that. But we've gone and said, oh, no, your opinion matters in your opinion. And guess what? My opinion matters very little in your life, especially with all the context that I have. Like, I, I could tell you what my opinion is on this one thing in your life, but if I have no context on anything, shut up. Like, that's the, that's the best thing that you can do. So stop idolizing your opinion. It actually doesn't matter. There are actually some people whose who opinion matters way more, like people who actually invest in your life. And, and uh, yeah, attend to your own business. That's awesome. Any other thoughts on attending to your own business? I got more, but I just realized it's noon. Anybody else? There was a study that was published recently that showed that less than 10% of the pictures you see on Facebook are unaltered um, because people are comparing themselves to others and they want to be perceived better than they are. And when it gets to that point, I think within our own lives where we are shaping our own lives and altering and photoshopping our photographs to look better to other people then our focus is in the wrong place that's really good yeah how many how many guys have had their picture recently taken and you didn't suck your tummy in just a little bit <laughs> just a little bit come on just a little bit now, how many people did that when they got the picture taken right yeah i mean we all do it it's part of this thing like <laughs> attend to your own business <clears throat> alright really quick I'm going to do this really quick the ambition is to lead a quiet life attend to your own business and work with your hands now this one probably more than any of them has a little more of a biblical context historical context because of the time frame obviously back in that time working with your hands was much, much more a part of the overall contribution to the economy however um, there, there still is some principle here that you can pull from this, and I'm going to go really fast through this, so forgive me if it sounds like I am. The concept in biblical times to be working with your hands is kind of a general term that actually meant just to be diligent. Whatever you do, make sure you're diligent at it. Make sure that you're putting actual effort into it, you're thoughtfully engaged in it, and you're involved. Like you were busy being productive. That's what Paul's saying here. If you're not productive, it's going to be hard to be satisfied, to be at peace, and to be able to advance the kingdom in a, in a fruitful way. And that, again, like I said earlier, in the contrast, those who are not being productive or diligent, the Bible calls them busybodies and meddlers. But today we can read this phrase and realize it from a more uh, contemporary perspective, is that be engaged in work and projects that require your whole self. This is what I'm hearing Paul say here. Be engaged in work and in projects requiring your whole self, body, soul, and spirit. 
Create plans and goals. Like for some of us, like, you know what, I'm kind of at a place in my life where I don't need to do that anymore. I'm pretty, I'm pretty settled. I'm pretty at a good place in my life. I feel good about this. But he's saying, look, make it your ambition to work with your hands. Still achieve, still accomplish. Work diligently toward plans and goals that you have created. Uh, we can also look at that phrase, work with your hands, and say, focus on what you can do and improve the areas where you know that you hinder yourself from doing what you were created to do. Let's make this real practical. And I'm going to really try hard not to offend anybody here, but, you know, I like to do that unintentionally, hopefully. But how many people have a job where it's not very physically taxing? And how many people have a job that you have a lot of, like, loose time on your hands in the job. Yeah. How hard is it to stay focused on your job when you don't have a whole lot to do all the time? Let's be honest, it's pretty hard, okay? Now, some of us have jobs that we're active all the time, like our hands are involved, and then we have to think with our minds because if we don't think with our minds, we might cut off our hands. <laughs> and then our bodies have to be involved also. You know, body, soul, and spirit. I have to be thoughtful. I have to be engaged. If I am not thoughtful about this, if my heart is not in it, then the quality won't be there. Anybody? Like, I'm thinking about nurses and doctors and things like that. Like, I, I need your heart and your mind uh, informing your hands. Like, right now. Like, surgeon. I really don't think this is a time to pull up a YouTube video and watch. <laughs> but some of us who have jobs that we're just like, you know, I really only needed a couple hours a day, and so the rest of the time... I hear Paul saying, for those of us who have jobs like that, be wise. Be intentional. Be deliberate. Use that time wisely, or you're not going to be able to have this kind of life that God created us. Don't forget, he was exhorting us almost to the point of command to be working with our hands. So the more time we spend not working with our hands, not being diligent, not being intentional, not being creative, this is really important, then we're going to be more distracted. We're going to become idle. And look, that term idle is a term that's used, not I-D-O-L, but I-D-L-E. It's one of the words that's used throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And if there's one thing you learn in the Bible, as well as if you look in contemporary life, the worst things man creates happens in idleness. The best things men create is when their intention, I don't mean men as in males, I mean man as in people, okay? The best things people create is when they're engaged, when they're actively involved in thoughtful creativity. The best things are created. But when you're idle, when you are actually paid well to not have to do much. Hello? Anybody? When you're paid well not to have to do much, some really bad things can result. And you, those of you that don't work with your hands, who don't have to be diligent, who don't have to be focused in order to make money, you are the ones that need Holy Spirit more than those of us whose hands are always busy in order to create finances. This is a word of wisdom from the Lord spoken through me to you. If you can do your job 
Let's say it's a 40-hour job, but you really only need 10 to 15 hours of real devoted attention to make that money, then you've got 25 to 30 hours where you can kick in some other area of your life, where you can learn something, where you can build something, where you can grow something. Some of the most incredible businesses today that are billion-dollar businesses were built by someone working for someone else but were so good at what they did but they didn't have to put a whole lot of time into it, and then they built Microsoft on the side. Or they built some other incredible thing on the side. You have that opportunity to do something incredible. Work with your hands. When I hear that today, I hear him saying to us, don't be idle. Take that time and make it productive. Like, I get really concerned with people that are on any kind of fixed income. Honestly, my heart actually prays intentionally for people who are on any kind of fixed, set-in-stone income as a result of disability, as a result of retirement, or anything like that. Because in that moment is the enticement and the temptation to just... Nothing positive and productive happens in that place. Use that time. Use that wisely in order to grow and keep developing. So, next verse. Let me just get this and be done. I know, I know, I know, I know. Next, verse 12. Nick, you with me? Okay. You do these three things. You live a quiet life. You attend to your own business. And you work with your hands. And the result is you behave. Look at that. You're right back to kindergarten all over again and didn't even realize it. There was a book when we were growing up. You guys remember that book? Everything you need to know, you learn in kindergarten. Nobody? It's an actual book. Okay. Anyway, so that if you do those three things well, live a quiet life, the other two, you will behave properly toward outsiders. You will have a life that other people outside the faith will go, now that is an interesting life. That is a life I need to pay attention to. Isn't that the whole goal of our walk with Jesus? Is that we become light and attractive to those who aren't walking with him yet? Paul is actually giving us a simple kindergarten-style strategy to draw people to the Lord. This is incredible. The world will be drawn to such lives. And look at this. Here's what I love. Those who are quietly attending to their own business and working with their hands, people that don't even know Jesus, will one day realize, oh my gosh, I'm living in what those lives built. That's my hope. My hope is that people will literally start to adopt thought processes, way of life as a result of watching mine. So you behave properly toward outsiders. They will actually see something different that's in the world versus a Christian version of what they already know. Guys, I'll tell you this. The church thinks they're doing incredible things, but really, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just Christianizing what already exists in the world instead of actually ushering in the kingdom on earth through our lives. That is salt and light. The other thing it said is that we would not be in any need if we led a quiet life, if we attended to our own business, if we actually worked with our hands, we would, we would be providers. We would be ones who create and distribute wealth in every area, financially, emotionally, 
spiritually, every area of life, we would not just be ones who need things, we would be ones that provide. Quiet, focused, diligent lives always produce enough for themselves and for the people around them. All right, I had to speed to the finish. But Well, again, just a practical pastoral thing that the Lord was laying on my heart. I wanted to present it to you for your thoughtful consideration. Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray, Lord God, that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12 specifically, would rest deeply in our hearts. When you were talking to Paul about this, and Paul wrote those words down almost 2,000 years ago, give us the emphasis on those words today. How can I apply those words to my life today? May the spirit of those words impact my life that I might live quietly, attending to my own business, working diligently so that people might see and experience you through my life. Let it be so, Lord. And while I have the mic, I just speak a blessing over our roadways, specifically over Route 81. I speak life. No death. I even go as far by faith, standing on this firm foundation of Jesus. I even say no accidents. May our roadway through this area, may 81 through our area, into Hagerstown and beyond, up north into Carlisle, into the Harrisburg area, no death. Safety. May people experience the love of God as they travel this roadway. Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for being patient. Have a great week. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, but we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.